0: Thank you for downloading this episode of the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. This is episode 23, uh, coming to you from the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. It's been a busy old week for us. Uh, mm-hmm. We've been seeing lots of shows. We've been flying for our own show, Cacophony, yeah. which uh, even tonight got a stand ovation. It did, of
1: that, course. That
0: was like, of, of course. Did I sound surprised? No. No. We're never surprised. Did we're... I sound exhausted and slightly hysterical? Uh, Possibly. No. No, a yeah, bit maybe. maybe. Um, and we've actually managed to stuff three different podcasts into this podcast sock for you today.
2: <laughs> I wondered where you were going with that. Um, yes, we spoke
0: to... Phil Ainsworth. Yes, for uh, Momentum. We did. We spoke to Jack Jackman.
2: For the series of plays, Identity.
0: And we spoke to Cameron Moore. Oh! Go on. <laughs> What's it called? no it, where it is. Oh, um, oh, by the way, there's going to be a bit of swearing <laughs> <laughs> at the end of this podcast, and that was just a, 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 a sweet sweetener to uh, warn you of the right um, like language yes. uh, issue that we might not issue at all. It's uh, not it's, an issue. It, it, well, it's just
2: words. Yeah, isn't it? it's
0: just words. It's just words. Don't be scared by words having said that, we've just come from a lovely show that had some of the words in it.
2: Some of the words. Yeah. Uh,
0: some new ones. Yeah, some words we'd never heard before. No. Uh the Reformed Whores They've got a show every night at the sweet grass market. Yeah. Uh which um coincides neatly with the Edinburgh tattoo. Mm-hmm. Uh so if you want a big bang, then <laughs> <laughs> apart from that, I hope you enjoy this hour. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this, the 23rd episode of the Cast Iron Theatre podcast, coming to you from the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. Uh, And our guest today is uh, Phil Ainsworth. Hello, how are you? Hello, Andrew. I'm very well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm all right. Uh, So this is the 23rd episode, uh, number 23. Uh, I just happen to remember that uh, 23 is my my birthday. um, And I imagine... In your line of work, numbers are um, uh, important, are attractive, are lovely. Is 23 important?
3: Uh, well, 23 is my lucky number, uh, <laughs> okay. actually. Um, and it goes back to some... It's a bit of a niche thing, a bit of a obscure thing, but some people listening may know this. There's a, a series of fictional novels called the Illuminatus Trilogy okay, by a science fiction writer, an American guy called Rob Anton Wilson. And the number 23 is, is used in this. It's supposed to have mystic... for spiritual meanings it's the the Bavarian Illuminati use it to control the world I see The, the novel is a spoof of conspiracy theories so it's every possible conspiracy theory under the sun all mixed together. And the truth is they're all conspirators of each other and they're all in on it. And it's that a, it's a funny science fiction. It, it,
0: it's oh OK. Did you see the film, the number 23?
3: Uh, I, that is actually all of that has come because of this. So this oh, I see. Yeah, this, this author, Robert Anton Wilson, he's really influential. He's also really influential in the fields of NLP and brain change. I see. And, and, and making yourself more confident or whatever. Uh, he was very, um, he was very friendly with the the two original founders of NLP, neuro linguistic program, in yes. the seventies. And so his work has actually found its way into a lot of fields and influenced a lot of um, creative artists. So, for example, if you've ever uh, seen or read uh, Watchmen, the. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I can't remember his name. Alan Moore. Alan Moore, thank yeah. you. Uh, Alan Moore. He would kill you. <laughs> yeah, he would kill me for that. Uh, Alan Moore, Watchmen, is very much um, asp- inspired by the work of Rob Anton Wilson. I see. As is the number 23 film
0: as well. Indeed. Um, so um, uh, we spoke about, we were you just speaking about NLP. Um, I, I don't want to out you here, but you uh, you mentioned on, uh, on your way, you messaged us and said that you were going to be three minutes late. Yes. Not five minutes late. Not 10 minutes late, but three minutes late. I'm suspecting that there's a bit of NLP in there. Um, No, I just thought I would be able to make it in three minutes. Oh, I see.
3: No, five minutes sounds... I always think that five minutes sounds unacceptably late and three minutes sounds like it's just a a couple. Like it's not enough to be an annoyance. I also can't remember if this was from an (laughs) NLP
0: book or because I do lots of workshops and stuff... Um, I was once told or read that three minutes is a really useful time to tell students or uh, workshop participants uh, if they're preparing something. So if you're going to be, if you say, oh, you've got five minutes to do this, it's a generic wallpaper sound. The five minutes doesn't mean anything or 10 minutes doesn't mean anything. Three minutes is an actual definable. oh, 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 that's that's a bit less. And so people really hook onto that in a way that they don't normally with five minutes. So I I assumed that it was an L (laughs) P thing, but it is not. No, I was just trying to say I'm around the corner. (laughs) Um, (laughs) See, I, I, I've been accused of overthinking things. No, that's okay. I, I,
3: <laughs> I do overthink it's, things. It's really funny, actually, because um, my performance, as you know, you, you very kindly came to see it, I yeah. appreciate that, uh, performing as a motivational mm-hmm. mentalist, motivational mind reader, it, it's quite funny because when you're hanging out with people socially, th- you're always aware that they, that sometimes people say, oh, you try to read my mind right now, and sometimes people can't get quite guarded around yeah. you. So I always, when I'm socialising, when I'm relaxing, I don't even attempt to use any of those skills. Or try yeah, anything no. Because it makes friendships really difficult or really awkward. I and can and really imagine. Cruel yes and, p- and sometimes you say things and people go oh that's clever you said that because of x y and z no it was just the first thing that came to mind
0: <laughs> and, and also i guess it sort of um fragments you in the sense of sometimes you might be being clever because you're clever and they're taking away your superpowers from you. oh i see you do that because of the thing um i'm really not clever but um,
3: <laughs> uh, no i uh, yeah sometimes it's, it's yeah people's Sometimes and um, it's funny actually cuz at the start of the show some people do come in quite guarded with their guard up and yes. defensive and all oh, right I think you did that because of that but um part of my job is to is to warm them up and and, and build sure. a bit of a rapport and get on with people but yeah sometimes people do think that that you're doing something in genuine well, I th- it's interesting actually it's part of human nature to spot patterns yes there is a concept I think it's called paraphilia no that might not be right um Something like that, which and um, it's you know when you see faces in clouds or in, in so bushes yeah, yeah. and trees, it's we're, we're we're hardwired to see this because when we lived in the, in tribes or in jungles and forests ten thousand years ago, if you saw something in a bush that maybe looked a bit like a, a lion's face, yeah, it would be very. Um, uh, useful as a useful skill to have to err on the side of caution yeah. and assume that as a lie, and so that you can I see, leg yeah. it right so our minds are hardwired to look for faces in things that aren't there yeah. to keep us safe to protect us so and also we we're, we're hardwired to spot patterns and, and and things maybe where they're not necessarily as a pattern so yeah. and um, sometimes people kind of get a bit carried away with that and but yeah it's it's all this all the same
0: and how without giving away any elements of the show how quickly are you able to read your room of knowing how participatory they're going to be or not that's an interesting one usually you can get a good
3: sense about a couple of people i think any stand-ups listening to this as well or any yeah. performers at all any actors will say you once you've kind of trod the balls for a long time you get a sense of an audience and you can, yeah. you can kind of gel with them. Um, I, I'll very quickly look for the people who, who, are, who are, have got a smile on their face basically so, yeah. or sort of open body language or are kind of looking at me and smiling and I think and well okay so there'll that, be good ones to start with and I'll also look out for people who maybe you're slightly more guarded and, and yeah. arms crossed and rolling yeah. back. But interestingly, sometimes the people who you think, um, looking at, and I think we all get this as stand up uh, actors, yeah. you look out and sometimes you see just all the cold, blank faces, and sometimes you see happy, smiling faces. But interestingly, you're, you're, you're so, I'm so often wrong about yeah. whether someone's enjoying it or not. I see. I had a show a few days back, and there was a group in the middle row, right in the middle, four of them, and they looked like they to me, they looked like they were bored of senseless. Yeah. The rest of the room all around them were kind of joining in and engaging. And to me I thought, Well, they're not enjoying it. So I sort of worked a bit hard and tried to involve them a bit more. And at the end I thought, Oh I'll well, choke sure up to experience, you can't please yeah. everyone. One of them came up and said, Oh, that was fantastic, really enjoyed it. Um you've really helped me with confidence issues and kinda of, and I was like, Wow, they obviously just wanted to keep their guard up. Sure, they obviously yeah. just wanted to, you know or maybe they were just concentrating, you know. Yes. Sometimes concentration looks like boredom from the outside, so I remember There's that. For all of us. Uh, <laughs> and
0: can that, because obviously um, you will be using NLP or a version of NLP in your show, and you would use that for yourself as well. It would be um, inward facing. You talk about sort of the concepts of uh, looking inwards. Uh, can what appears to be a a blank face in the audience can that affect you? Does that affect you, or are you able to ride that out? Uh, I'm only I'm only human, same <laughs> as
3: all of us, and I'd be lying if I said things didn't affect me. But I think what I've taught myself to do is to recognise when something's affecting me, and then take action about that. So if yeah. I if I find myself start to think, "Oh, that person doesn't it doesn't look like they're enjoying it," I'll then recognise that thought and say, and and then do one or two things. You can either go one or two directions. You can either then focus in on them and give them a smile and deliver the next little bit of patter straight yeah. to them to smile, uh, or you can choose just to. Blank it out and just assume you're yes. having a good time. Uh, but I think it's, re- it's, it's interesting in life because we we try and strive to be perfect. And um, it's, it's common things about fear. Actually, people think that f- um, that being brave means never feeling fear. Yeah. But I believe that actually being brave is is being scared, but actually doing the same thing anyway. Yes, because it's human nature to feel fear. We are um, we're, we're animals, you know, we, yeah. we we have adrenaline pumping through our bodies, we have this uh, central nervous system which is designed to keep us safe in a dangerous world and uh, when we perceive danger our central nervous system fires off a adrenaline yeah. which gives us the fight or flight reflex. Yeah. So we can either fight for ourselves or we can run away yeah. and we live in a, in a relatively safe world now or well, safe in the sense there's no you know lions and, and bears running around oh my. Um, but we still react as if we live in this hostile world of you know Tri- any tri- yeah. enemy tribe could come as evade so we still have these um emotional reactions to things that maybe aren't necessarily there so I, again the trick is really just training yourself to notice when you start to respond in that way yeah and then take a second like nice uh, uh, what i do is I uh, breathing is really important yeah. to me so nice slow breath in through nose in fact before I, I do a show i always have a, have a little breathing ritual yeah
0: and feeling in the fear and doing it anyway is in large part, what your show is actually about. Uh, It's a mind-reading show, but it's also a communication with the audience about, not to put too fine a point on it, for us to get to read our own minds and understand ourselves. Is that fair?
3: Yeah, I hope so. So it came about because I've seen lots of Great mentalists and magicians, and some not so great ones. So. And and um, I was and actually I was listening to Darren Brown in an interview once, and uh, someone said to him, um, "Why don't you use your fantastic magical powers that you have? Why don't you use them to heal the world and you could make everything a better place?" And he kind of laughed it off and said, "Well, you know, we, we all know that I'm not magical, but yeah. we know that's not appropriate. Next question, please." And it left this thought with me: Fine, that's fair enough. You know, no one's no no mentalist would ever admit that yeah they've got magic powers or anything. But what if we could help people? Yeah, like I'm not saying I'm some guru who's going to save the world. But yeah. what if I could actually make a difference? So the show is really about it's called it's called momentum. It's about building momentum in your life and about overcoming your own self-limiting beliefs and sticky points. And I do share a couple of techniques in the show that yeah. I use for myself to overcome things. Uh, so yeah, it, it is a mind reading show, but it, there is a, a message in there of overcoming fear and being more positive. And uh, yeah, and it really is that that's so important to me to do that because. Um, at the risk of sounding pretentious, I think entertain, as entertainers and performers, we love to um, entertain and perform. But if we can make a bit of a profound difference in someone's life, yeah. that's almost like an, an, an amazing extra added bonus as well to the show.
0: Absolutely. So. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm sure that um, very rarely um, entertainers are known as pretentious. <laughs> well- so? so I think you're, you're, you're okay there. Uh, So uh, we should um, remind ourselves where and when Momentum is. Okay, so it's
3: Momentum, a motivational mind-reading experience. It's at 2.30pm, every day for the rest of the Fringe, apart from the 24th and 25th, because the venue's closed. And it's at the Sweet Holyrood, which yes, is the McDonald's Hollywood Hotel.
0: Excellent, and um, we're sort of because we're doing very short um, interviews uh, during the fringe. We're pretty much at the end of our interview. So what I want to ask you is a couple of questions about: um, Are there any other shows uh, throughout the fringe that you're hoping to see or have seen? I've seen some great
3: stuff yeah. already. So I uh, went to see uh, saw, um, a friend, Abby, in the Principle of Uncertainty, which yeah. is at the uh, which is at our venue. She's like a place like university Lecture in quantum physics. It's all very sort of oh, pop physics, like Big Bang theory. Monkey Cage, uh, but also then it creeps in. She tells a story of her own life, so it sort of blends in very nicely. Cacophony is very good as well. (laughs) I know it is your show, we've actually been to see it twice. You have, yeah, thank you so much. Yes, Uh, what other stuff have we? I'm hoping to see Deep in the Heart of Me. Oh, yes, which is uh, I think it's about five o'clock in the afternoon at Grassmarket. Yeah, Um, two of our friends, Alison and Rosie, are in that Uh, already seen. um, Morgan and West, uh, two great magicians, the Victorian time magicians. they're underbelly, Uh, they're fantastic. And we saw, um, what else have we seen? Do you want to miss anyone out? Uh, we've also been to see Murder, She Didn't Write, I which is improv murder mystery. You get in there at the very start, they ask you to name some random locations, yes. crazy murder weapons, and then they improvise a the murder mystery with it. Um, I thought it was brilliant, really good. I mean, I don't know how they can improvise and be so funny. That was really good. And um, I'm sure we'll see Colin Cloud's show, Dare. Oh, like yes. Amazing, like, stadium mentalism. Um, I have a non oh uh, sorry my Fanny Valentine oh yes my Fanny Valentine at the uh, space Surgeons hill uh, it's a girl who is on a, on a night out with a girl's drunken out she thinks she's booking um she thinks she's on a, a dating app for doctors yes she's actually booking a gynecologist appointment so okay. she turns up for what she thinks is a date and it's actually a gynecologist appointment and it's a musical uh, that they do lots of pop songs but they do parodies and change. Fantastic. The uh, and it's really funny. My Fanny Valentine.
0: Beautiful. Um, and um, the other question we often ask is uh, when you're a kid, you, you might come up with an idea for a thing or an invention or the idea for a great book or whatever. Uh, and then you didn't do anything about it. And then somebody else has beaten you to the punch. <laughs> uh, is that true of you? Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Um, I was a very odd child. I
3: was far too obsessed with science fiction <laughs> and computer games and staying in. And, and I loved science fiction and science. And I um, was a bit of a deep thinker as well. So I was about sort of seven or eight. I, hit, I had this idea that what if we didn't see reality in the same way as people? Yeah. You know, what if, just a really light example, what if the colour that I know as red... What if you see that as blue? Sure. But you call it red because you've been told it's red and I call it red but it looks like or even what about if like, you know, to you a bird looks like a fish but to me a fish looks like a bird but we just call it that. Yeah. We've got no way of knowing how reality looks. So I thought, what if we could, I could build a machine that allowed you to perceive reality <laughs> through someone else's central nervous system? Yeah. Later on in life, I then realised that of course that's impossible because then you'd be seeing their reality but through your own central nervous yes. system, so that would colour it as well. Yeah. But interestingly, there are uh, scientists working on um, uh, uh, scanning systems at the moment. So you know the um, what do they called? The magnetic. Um, for MRI scans. Oh yes, yeah. And that they're the brain scanning and they're building up this picture and they're able to f- I mean we've not got to that stage yet, but they're able to find the actual parts of the mind where you're thinking a certain thing or responding to a certain stimulus. Yeah. And again, different people, when they're looking at the same thing, different parts of the brain fire for different people. So it's almost as if <laughs> we do perceive reality in incredibly different ways and we f- process it in different ways. Yeah. So. Uh, that it has knows? to be the most intelligent <laughs> answer
0: we've had to that question. I was an um, odd child. <laughs> uh, well, 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 two things I liked about that response. One is we've had a lot of people telling us that they were an odd child, overly <laughs> obsessed with science fiction, etc. And I like the um, almost Freudian element there. You said something along the lines of uh, what if we could uh, perceive uh, reality differently from people? Not other people, but from people, say, which is an interesting... Um, yeah, from animals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the other question I wanted to ask is, is there anywhere you like to hang out in Edinburgh when you're sort of like getting away from the crowds or even getting into the crowds? We just discovered a
3: couple of places yesterday, so we hadn't had a chance to stop or anything yeah. until yesterday. And we have just discovered that, they're, that both of them are mini-chains, so they've got a couple of, of outlets through sure. Edinburgh, but they're, they're you know very small. Uh, one is um, let me eat. Oh yes, and they do great sort of paninis and wraps and soup, and it's all very kind of cool and, 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 and friendly, and it's like really warm. And, and there's one of them right next door to uh, the sweet grass market. One right next to the yeah. sweet market, and that's where we went the other day. And they're lovely, really friendly people. And we've also discovered Hendrix, oh, yes. who also have a couple of different places. And um, but myself and my girlfriend are both vegan. And uh, don't like to go on about it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing because you normally go to a place and you normally have like one vegan option. So you yeah. just get used to just you get used to just not being fussy and just having whatever you can. And we went to Hendrix and there's like, this is a vegan chorizo burger and a vegan steak sandwich or <laughs> a vegan wrap. And I'm like, I genuinely haven't had to make a decision in a yeah. restaurant for so long. So I sat there, it took me about 20 minutes to work out what I wanted. But they were really nice, friendly people. Um, so I recommend that as well. Oh, there was one more show that popped into my head, if oh, yeah, okay. yeah, sure. Uh, it's uh, Griffin and Jones ah, at yes. Homemade Miracles at the Liquid Rooms. Um, great magicians. They call themselves the Ant and Deck of Magic. They've <laughs> got a great banter between the they two have. of them. And the show is, and um, there's they've got a double finale at the end. I won't spoil it. One one is genuinely death-defying. One of them could die if it goes <laughs> wrong. And the other one, I won't even spoil it at all. But it comes after it. It's a really entertaining finale. Um, they are yeah they're brilliant performers as well so I just want to sneak that in as
0: well beautiful <laughs> that's fantastic well thank you so much for the uh, chat um, tell us again when when, and where you are uh, Momentum a motivational mind reading experience half 2pm in the
3: afternoon every day apart from the 24th and 25th and that is at the sweet Holyrood McDonald's Holyrood
0: Hotel Phil Ainsworth thank you very much thank you very much I've loved it So here we are still at the Sweet Grass Market at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, and uh, for this part of the hour we're speaking to Jack Jackman. Hello.
1: Hello, good morning.
0: Uh, so um, let's get straight into
1: it. Uh, what's uh, your show? Where is your show? What's it called? My show is in Sweet Hollywood, just opposite Dynamic Earth. It is called Identity, and it's about it's six short plays exploring identity in the modern world. It's about uh, how much data we put online and about people stealing your identity and about people you meet online not really being the same offline. Excellent, because yes, when
0: uh, you and I spoke, uh, the two things that I noticed about our communication was, one, that I didn't know who was talking to me, I didn't have your real mm-hmm. name, and also you knew significant ab- amounts about where I was right now and what I'd been doing and what sort of things I'd liked, uh, which was... Um, Startling, but I guess also not, it depends on I guess, uh, the age of, of whoever you're speaking to, not that surprising. We, we are seeming to be a bit more relaxed
1: still about what we give away online. Absolutely. I, I, it's kind of started for me last year when I bought a Kindle second hand. <laughs> and I, when it arrived, it was already logged into somebody's account. And yes. I thought, oh my God, I've bought a stolen Kindle. Yeah. So I, f- I, I got the lady's name and I thought, I just want to check and make sure that this hasn't been stolen. And I googled her, and within 10 minutes I had her home address, phone number, work address, I had her husband's uh, uh, de- de- uh, obituary, and all the details about him, and I could have easily have called up and, uh, and passed myself off as a very close confidant. Yeah. Um, in the end I called her up at home, and a very shocked woman told me that she had sold a Kindle, <laughs> um, and if I could please log out of her account, but I, it must have been quite a frightening experience to know that somebody's got that much data on you. Does that make you more paranoid or just more careful? I'm very paranoid, absolutely, <laughs> yes. So uh, like you say, uh, in, uh, in Facebook, I don't use my real name completely. Um, it, it's, about, it's about how all your data connects up. And every time you put data online, it's all being, it's all being collated somewhere. Uh, fortunately at the moment uh, people don't have we don't have the algorithms to manage this amount of data only about yep. 5% of it's being processed but as soon as as computers get more powerful they're processing more and more of this and and it links all your information up if you consider now especially how the rules in Britain have changed that all the information uh, that you everything you google everything that you look up uh, your search your ISB keeps a record of that now for 6 months yeah and so is identity is that is it a warning i in a way, yes. Um but I find that the the more outlandish uh, the things I show, uh, the more people laugh. <laughs> which uh, it's it's supposed to be it's humorous. It's it's dark yes. comedy. Uh but I do worry a little bit about people laughing at some of the at some of the darker things that people are doing online.
0: It can be uh, somewhat disturbing for people to find out
1: uh, that people are so other people are so open online. Absolutely. It, it's amazing. Even people who you think should be quite internet savvy you start going on and looking for their information and there's reams of it out there
0: was <laughs> this is a, a
1: a question of um mm. age was it was life better before the internet life was simpler it's much harder to get information on people and we, we've campaigned long and hard in this country against the, uh, an identity card i don't think we need one anymore i yeah. think everyone's identity is online now yes <laughs> whether that's better life is more connected
0: And so when um, Google Glass uh, do their next version of Google Glass that will actually be successful this time, and you can walk down the street and have people's um, personality, uh, name, likes, dislikes flash above their head in front of you, is there a a positive side to that? I'm
1: finding it hard to see it.
0: (laughs) I can see a lot of negative sides. But you could opt out, surely, and, and it could be that it would let, it would lead to less awkward conversations about whether or not you're a vegan or whether or not you support that political party.
1: It is very hard to opt out because opting out means not only not putting any of your information online, but none of your friends putting any information online. One of the things I found I had to do uh, for this show was set up a Twitter account, Instagram, I set up a Facebook page, and suddenly I'm having to give a whole load of my information away just to make a show about not giving your information away. There is a bit of irony there. There is a lot of irony
0: I mean, I know there's certain... um people at the Edinburgh Fringe uh, particularly stand-ups who willfully do not enter into any of that but they've had the advantage of um, building up a following over the past 10 years so one has to hunt them out and you might find an obscure reference in the brochure but that's about it so if it is such a potentially dark and problematic world
1: can we pull have we reached peak information can we pull back there's no going back. No, no. <laughs> no, it's 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 onwards and upwards from here. The amount of information we're putting online is, is increasingly more. And I, I don't know if people know this, but once you're if you're on a page and there's a little Facebook symbol on it, whether you're on Facebook or not, Facebook is recording which page you go on to next. Yeah. So if you're looking at uh baby products and then you click on something to uh, fertility treatment, that is giving uh Various companies, the information that you are trying to have children yes. who can then target you specifically.
0: This is why uh, every month or so we have a amusing or news story about an uh, MP um, declaring that the BBC are carrying adverts for some sort of
1: pornographic site, not realizing that actually they're out in their own browsing history. So, the browsing history is something I mentioned in one of the plays. Uh, as you mentioned, actually, just one of the plays is about big data. But one of the, one of the things that's mentioned in that is is how uh, what you put on social media is is a, a kind of better version of yourself. You're presenting yes. what you want to, the world to see. What you your browsing history. That's think uh, the character actually says that your browsing history is like a dictation from the soul. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> yes. ev- everything that All your innermost desires are very clearly spelled out in your browsing history.
0: And you you said earlier that it's. Um onwards and upwards and there's no going back which are we able to combine those if it's if we is it a sense of not exactly if you can't beat them join them but if there's no going back if it's only going to get bigger and bigger but we need to be careful about it and we can't necessarily opt out is there a way that we can operate within this ever-increasing information share with at the same time keeping ourselves safe
1: I, I can't. I can't help thinking about Big Brother and where we're going with this, yeah. and and the fact that people will be sharing the information, and, and it'll, it'll be a case of people censoring their own thoughts and their mm. own feelings, and people censoring about what they want to do when they're going online. And I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, and saying my worry now is not that uh, not that Big Brother is going to happen, is that that we we're actually buying into Big Brother. Yes, it'll happen because we've asked it to. Yeah, those screens that appear on everyone's on everyone's walls in, in the book will actually be something that we've bought ourselves.
0: Well, that's, that's, the, um, that's the hallmark of a good dictator, isn't it? That hmm. you love the dictator rather than fear it. Oh, yes. Um, which is a, a lovely uh, cheerful um, tone to end the chat on. Uh, you, so you've got a Twitter feed, yeah?
1: We do Twitter, yes, and Instagram. And, uh, so our company is called Anomaly Theatre. Yes. So we're at Anomaly Theatre.
0: Excellent. Um, and I wanted to ask you, uh, before we let you go, are there any other shows at the uh, Fringe that you're hoping to catch or have caught? <laughs> <laughs> I've,
1: tried, I've tried to see a few shows. Are you shows. online all the time? Is that the problem? I uh, Well, I live just outside Edinburgh. Yes. So I tend to spend most of my time not in the theatre uh, back with my children yes. and my wife. Um, so
0: <laughs> so there, there, there are enough entertainment
1: uh, for you? There's plenty of work to do at home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've, I've seen a few shows. Uh, I'd like to see a few more, but, yeah.
0: Excellent. And... Um, this might also happen within the household because you're entertaining small kids. Are there? Is there ever an invention that you've come up with or an idea for a book that you thought oh, that'll, that'll work, but didn't actually do anything about, and now somebody else has uh, been a multi because they invented the laptop computer or something?
1: Uh, I never really invented things. I don't think. I don't seem to remember inventing things. I tended to live. I think when I was a child, I tended to live more in fantasy worlds. Yeah. Um, and the only difference between then and now really is is that uh, when the voices in my head speak I, I write it down and try and make it into a play.
0: That's a good plan it's a good plan and um, you may be able to answer this better than most because you're living just outside Edinburgh is there um, a place that you like to hang when well, you don't have your spare time is there a place that you like to hang out at a coffee shop or a bar where you do your best thinking or your best writing?
1: Um, I tend to be outside of Edinburgh, but I, th- I think if I'm going to give a shout out to one place, it should be the Ma- uh, the Mad Hatter, yes, which is uh, by Haymarket, who gave us their basements to rehearse in. Oh, fantastic! So we spent the last few months meeting up there. So my actors come from from Edinburgh and from Glasgow, yeah. And uh, so that the poor the poor have got to train it in and, and find a place that we can all meet yeah. up to. To rehearse
0: it is really vital and important isn't it to find a local uh, place that's got a basement or a back room that you can rehearse in uh, for exchange of you know occasionally buying a coffee or a drink yes uh, it becomes vital well uh, thank you so much Jack uh, for talking to us about identity we're going to give one more reminder for
1: ourselves about when and where that is so that is 3 45 every afternoon in Sweet Hollywood, which is on Hollywood Road opposite Dynamic Earth thank you Jack pleasure thank you very much
0: Michelle here another quick warning from this point on in the podcast we have unbeat the swear words so you will hear the swear words and also we will be talking about adult themes so just another quick heads up for you here that if you're listening with children you may want to listen later okay enjoy Here we are at the third part of today's chat, uh, still at the Sweet Grass Market, at the Edinburgh Fringe.
2: And now we're talking to Cameron Moore. Hello. Hi there. Hello. So how are you? How's your Fringe been so far? Um, It is, uh, as always, exhausting. Uh, It is. I don't think people understand, especially the people who go to the shows, but anyone anywhere uh, who's heard about the Fringe but doesn't really know what goes into it thinks it's just glamorous, showbiz and, and, and doing the show and just, you know, reaping the stars. And yeah. it's like, yo, man, that is not what it is. It is pure brute force at some points. What was your first uh, Edinburgh Fringe? Uh, 2013 was the first time I came here. Yeah. I was in the Free Festival. I was in the Laughing Horse Free Festival. Yeah. And I did my first play, Phone Whore, in the basement of a bar that was about a mile away from, uh, from the epicenter. Kind yeah. of the fringe <laughs> central. Sure. So, uh, that was, uh, th- th- I believe that, like, the Free Festivals are kind of the trial by fire that every performer needs yeah. if you're a solo performer. Yeah.
0: And uh, phone whore—that's uh, that, that's a bold title mm. for for an hour. Uh, how are you doing with this year?
2: Well, um, I decided to to roll that back a little bit <laughs> yeah. and uh, and go for a nerd fucker. <laughs> um, it, oddly enough, though, like nerd fucker, for all that the title is very in your face, yeah. it's it's a quite PG thirteen PG fourteen show. Yeah. Um, you'll go see the show and you'll be like, oh yeah. That's the only title that makes sense. But until then, I have a lot of work trying to um, explain to people that it's not stand-up comedy, yeah. it's theater, right? it's drama with funny bits. Yeah, yeah. And it's not actually that graphic, but it's important that it be called that. So it's a weird sort of balance with that title, I gotta say. Like I'm really good with titles, and then it's always like cleaning up after myself and meeting those, those needs of that title.
0: And I'm guessing there are one or two 13 or 14 year olds out there who have heard that word. Fucker! Yeah, for
2: sure, yeah. <laughs> for sure. It's 2017. You know, like the newspapers get really, um, uh, they get really skeeved out by it. I'm yeah. like, are you serious? You know, you put some asterisks in it and it's fine. But uh, yeah, it, it is a it is a thing that we pretend that these words and these understandings aren't in our society and and then um, and then get all like you know fluttery about it. It's like,
0: <sighs> so you're wanting to put the ass back into asterisks?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I definitely uh, I feel that I feel that euphemisms, whether in print or speaking, are, are kind of the um, they 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 don't help human relations at
0: all. Yeah. Mm. So are, are you are you the nerd fucker?
2: I am certainly a nerd fucker. Yeah. Um, it is possible to be both a nerd and a nerd fucker yeah. at the same time. Those are not exclusive at all. Um, when I look back on my romantic life, 95% of the dudes that I have had sex with have been nerds. Yeah. And so much of the action, most of the stories and the backstory that my character in Nerd Fucker tells are actually pretty closely based on my own experiences. Yeah.
0: So something that's actually come up um, bizarrely often in the um, podcast, chats maybe it's just sort of the circle of people that we uh, invite onto uh-huh. the uh, podcast, is... I always think that it would probably be easier to be a 13-year-old nerd now in 2017 than it might have been 20 years ago. It's a less lonely place, argument.
2: I I think so. I think a lot of nerd culture, geek culture, and subcultures have, um, if not exactly mainstream, they're certainly on the way there, and they've certainly picked up um, um, way more um adherence and and media and and media visibility than they had 20 years ago Uh, i think that's um uh something that especially especially boy nerds need to get over like you (laughs) are not downtrodden as you were no this is not like revenge of the nerds territory in (laughs) the early 80s anymore this is like you are that's a niche reference okay well you know but like i mean that was a time when when they were really um uh really almost oppressed you know yeah. in that way and i certainly remember from my own high school years in like the late 80s when i had friends who were routinely shoved into lockers I mean, yes. you think that's such a hack trope but it really yeah. happened yeah. you know and now um you know now uh geeks and nerds rule the tech world yeah you know and so like you can hardly say you're oppressed anymore i mean uh, you can't say it in that same way it's just it's, it's a different culture so uh, i think i think especially the the guy nerds um uh, need to to kind of look at that and 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 set some of that burden down because it's not true. It's a cliche at this point. And
0: it's how they use that perceived oppression, anyways. Mm-hmm. It? Stuff like G- GamerGate and yep. uh, calling out uh, fake uh, girl, fake, fans. fake geek girls, yeah.
2: and like playing the pity card yeah. and being the nice guy. And it's like you don't get points yeah. for being a nice guy. You really don't. So uh, yeah, that is that is a thing with um, with. It's still fairly. It's still a fairly um, um, un- unusual subculture. Or they yeah. are the, the geek cultures are many, and they are they're still fairly. Um, you know, they're not on on prime time television no. necessarily. I don't consider. I don't consider the um, Big Bang Theory to be necessarily representative of that. Well, as it's like
0: it's caricature, isn't it? It's um, using those tropes yeah. uh, for an easy oh, gag. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But, yeah, so in general, like I, I still think there's a lot to be learned and a lot for those communities to learn about themselves and examine yeah. themselves, and that's partly what nerdfucker is about,
0: and it also I guess um about those smaller communities um that the geeks thrown inherit the earth if if they're looking <laughs> up if they're looking after one another and yeah. protecting one another yeah, so um nerdfucker is very much a, a storytelling theatrical hour about yourself or a version of yourself.
2: I would not call it a storytelling hour, yeah, um I consider not to sound precious or anything but i really do think that proper theater actual plays yeah. from a solo like from a solo performer yeah. are very very rare when people talk about plays or one person sh- one person plays they're talking about one person shows yeah. which which would be storytelling or um, uh, monologues yes. or uh, autobiographical Stuff um, and those are not, they're not creating a different world. Yeah, they're just talking to you. Yeah. And I've done shows like that. Yeah, yeah. I do storytelling quite a bit, but Nerdfucker and Phone Horror, for that matter, yeah. are very definitely plays that set the audience in a different space. Yeah, um, and so I, I, I just want to point that out, not to be you know, no, no, exactly. about it, but it, it, I think that it's not storytelling, it's a play uh, for. Um, People who enjoy, like, theatre should consider this as a theatrical no. offering, not not comedy, certainly, not no. storytelling. You know, it's it's theatre.
0: And that distinction is important, isn't it? Because mm. um, especially if you're flying on the uh, the mile or whatever, where you've got about a four-second window into pitch your show, mm. it can... Some uh, potential audience members are a bit scared by, well, I don't like that. I don't like storytelling. I don't like theatre. Yeah. really, And you have a somewhat unique way of... Getting people to notice you in mm-hmm. their busy um, journey throughout um, cowgate and et cetera, what is it that you do
2: yeah so i I have since two thousand and eleven I have been doing this thing called uh, sidewalk smut yeah um and i you know i I do it a- around the world, I guess I could say around North America and the yeah. u k and berlin um, and it's primarily a a money making venture for me when I can do it basically I set up a uh, a, a manual typewriter on the street and have a little sign. This is abrupt erotica smut while you wait. <laughs> and uh, I wait for people to come up and ask me what the hell I'm doing, basically. <laughs> yeah. And then I explain it, and um, I, you know, they either jump on the offer. I interview them for a few minutes, send them away for yep. a drink. They come back in 15 minutes. I have a half a page of a dirty story that I think they would like. <laughs> yeah. And once I explain that, people either jump on it right away, or they're like, oh, no, I just wanted to find out. But sure. either way, um, it is it is an opening for me to say, hey, when I'm at festivals, I can say, are you seeing shows? Yeah. And of course, by virtue of their having stepped up to me in the first place, they're the ones who approached me. Absolutely. And um, I get that extra time to A, establish my personality with them. And yeah. I, I like to think I have a pretty charismatic personality. Yeah. I, I do it right, you know? And then, uh, and then B, I've already bought myself like, you know, at least like 90 seconds to two minutes of time to chat with them yeah. about the the smut stand, about the shows that I've got. Yeah. They're willing to listen. They will reach out for the card before I even say anything. And so... Um, I don't know. I don't know how other people do it. Like I, in in Canada, I flyer it completely differently because yeah. the shows in Canada usually at the fringes, the lineups happen out on the street, and so, so you can fly the lineups, yeah, yeah. you know, for the shows. Right um, here in Edinburgh, which I discovered in twenty thirteen that my usual mo <laughs> was not going to work because the lineups happen inside these big venue complexes, yeah. and the Big Four especially. You know, fuck them. Um, sorry. I mean, I'm never going to be in those places. My stuff is not never going to be in those Ever. 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 Never. Yeah. Never. I'm not that. I'm not that. So, like, like they have these huge beer gardens that you can't yeah. fly in. Uh, whereas, again, in Canada, you have the lineups. You have beer gardens for the entire fringe, not for one venue. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm very good at that uh, method. But here I came out and I was like, ah, everyone's. Shoving flyers in the punters' faces. Yes. And I only have, and in that, in that um, operating environment, uh, if I only have four seconds, as you say, yeah, it takes almost four seconds to say "nerd fucker," <laughs> yeah, or "phone whore." And yeah. those are not those titles, as grabby as they are, will grab the wrong person. Yeah. for my audiences, if I if that's all the time that I get. So I came up with Smut Slam, or rather Smut Stand, to. Um, Rather, I used it. I used it in this environment yeah. to be like, this is the magnet. This is the lighthouse. I want adventurous audiences. And anybody who comes up to a woman with a sign on a table that says abrupt erotica, <laughs> you know those people have already pre-qualified as adventurous yeah. people. Sorry to geek out. Like no. I, When we talk about geeking out, like I yeah. definitely... Street promo is really interesting to me. So
0: Well, you tell a lovely story um, online a couple of months back about... Um, I don't know if you were actively flying at that time, but um, some woman sort of uh, had uh, approached you and you were uncertain of their motives to begin with because mm-hmm. they were sort of with their girlfriends and they're mm-hmm. all sort of dressed up nicely and you thought oh, oh how's how this and she'd actually sort of uh, approached you to tell you excitedly about the fact that she'd seen your show the previous fringe and she was looking forward to seeing it this fringe. Mm-hmm. that was
2: yeah, quite a lovely mm-hmm. and i i mean i have to be forgiven for like not recognizing her right and we none of us recognize yeah, sure. our audience yeah, yeah. unless there's a special effort made yeah. after the show yeah but um, I do, like I, of course I stereotype people in my head. and like when a group of like uh, ladies of a certain age,, yeah. or like um, you know, some like punker dude, you know, or whatever, like yeah. an old person will come up to my stand and I'm just like bracing myself. <laughs> yeah. you know. But the fact is, and I, I find a certain joy in this is that the people who do come out to my shows when they're across the demographics, yeah. right, um, they find things in my shows that really work for them. So when, um, when people, oh, just a couple of days ago, a mother-daughter co- uh, pair came in. It was an yeah. adult woman and her mother. Yeah. And I was looking at them because they <laughs> certainly had that sort of, um, they certainly had a, a sort of a, a, a touristy, well-dressed thing going sure, on. Yeah. I'm like, they're looking so happy to see me. What's going on here? And, and the woman said to her mother, she said, she still talks about your show to people. <laughs> Two years later. Yeah, yeah. And then the woman looked at me and said, yeah, my husband and I still bring out the piece of smut that you wrote for us two years ago. <laughs> I was just, you know, like, so I want people to remember. And, and yeah. this is a way, smut stand is a way for people to continue to remember. And, yeah. how, and, and I provide an experience for them that they, they don't forget. So The
0: smut stand leads mm. us neatly into the other show that you're doing, mm-hmm. um, the Smut Slam. Yes. Uh, which is, uh, well... What is it?
2: Well, uh, normally Smut Slam uh, is an open mic concept. So it yeah. it's something that I created back in, in 2011. I had a lot of good ideas in 2011. <laughs> anyway, um, so so Smut Slam is um, normally the open mic where audience members uh, get a chance to come up to the mic, share their real-life first-person sex stories. Sure. And then there's the judges and there's competing for prizes, etc. But for the fringe environment, um, we can't, go for two and a half hours the way the normal thing is and and we so we have to compact it in and uh, so i created in 2015 i created a fringe version of smut slam which is smut slam cabaret yeah um, where I, I invite other fringe artists to come in and tell their first-person sex stories. I have like one or two variety acts per night, yep. you know, raunchy music or yep. clowns or burlesque or whatever. Yep. Uh, raunchy clowns are amazing when I can get them. Oh. <laughs> um, it's a little short on that front this year. But anyway, and then um, we have sponsors, The uh, Luke and Jack. They're like a sex toy store in Glasgow, yep. and Enjoy is my own sponsor for around-the-world stuff. We give away prizes. There's an anonymous confession and question bucket called the fuck bucket. Um, There's a lot of stuff packed into an hour. But at the base of it, it is the same concept as as all of my shows and Smut Slime Open Mic, and everything, which is to say I want to create a place where people feel safe and encouraged to at least think about these things, if not actually share and talk about them. Think about authentically what is my sex life like? What, is, what are my relationships like? Yeah. What is what is my life like in these areas? So, Smuts on Cabaret, even though it's at the fringe, glitzy, yeah. prizes, rah, people still walk away going, wow. Yeah. You know, what? that's unlike anything I've ever experienced. And so. if a,
0: an audience member was, uh, a potential audience member was going to feel nervous about it, they can be mm-hmm. to put a, a final point on it: They can be a voyeur, where, rather than an active participant.
2: Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, they the anonymous question, you know, the fuck yeah. bucket is purely anonymous. Um, so that's like the lowest risk way of sure, being yeah. involved in the show. Um, we do have one open mic spot per evening yeah. that people can enter from the audience and tell. But mostly here at the Fringe, it's other it's other artists, yeah. right? And uh, and I should also let let audience members know, like the performers are actually more scared of you okay, than you are yeah, of them. Yeah. Because most of the performers, um, very few performers are used to telling like sex stories, actual sex stories. Yeah. They might put on a persona for their standup set or, yeah. they might, or they might be actors who never tell truth about themselves anywhere sure. on stage, right? So when they come out to my show and I ask them to really share something, yeah. it doesn't have to be dirty. Nope. It doesn't have to be like super vulgar or graphic or like, kinky or whatever, just share one five minute story about your sex life. Yeah. And they actually get really nervous and really frightened. So for audience members, it's like, you are you don't have to do that. They want, they are a little nervous too. Just sit there and be encouraging and watch. And that's yeah. like the easiest thing to do.
0: They're going to have more performance anxiety than anybody in the audience. For sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, we, we have to sort of get in quite close to the end of our chat uh, yes. today, Cameron. Um, so what I want to ask you is, I mean, you seem to be very busy, particularly with the... Um, the, I'm going to get the name wrong, The Smut Stand. The Smut stand. stand,
2: yeah, I'm out there four hours a day, yeah.
0: So you're out at The Smut Stand four hours a day, so you may not get to see many other shows. No. But um, there might be shows that you're getting. You're quite upset that you're missing. Are yeah. there any shows that you've got a good buzz on or you'd like to put a, a shout out to?
2: Yeah, uh, so I do have two days off uh, coming up, uh, the 14th and the 21st, so I'm kind yeah. of hoping I can just put aside my purely mercenary self and like <laughs> yeah. and just not do the smut sand those days. Um, yeah. One person whose shows I really like and I wanna see, it would be uh, Peter Michael Marino, yeah. who does a show called Show Up, where he takes audience members, um, Things that their personal stories and creates yeah. a solo show on oh, the show. Oh, lovely. Spot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Uh, the other one that's in the afternoon that I really want to catch is um, Miranda Kane's uh, cro- uh, Crossbones. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Because it's it's historical, and I myself am considering doing a historical um, show in yeah. a year or two, and yeah. I want to see what she does with this topic. What's true is that, like, at, I'm not formally trained. No. All right. And so Fringe has become my own continuing education. I go to shows that I can learn from, watching what other people do, and those are two shows that I expect that. Well, way. I
0: really wanted to ask that, just when you were speaking about um, Crossbones, is how much of the Fringe, because not just the Edinburgh Fringe, you are many Fringes throughout yeah. the world, throughout yes. the year. Um, how many Fringes become for you uh, research and development for whatever might be coming up in the next couple of years?
2: Um, all of them. Yeah. Uh, so I have to say, I have my priorities pretty clear yeah. um, in terms of what it what the shows are that I really want to see. Yeah. Of course, we all have obligation shows, sure. friends that, yeah. you know, but even that, if they're good friends, they'll be like, no, no, I understand. You, this of is course, not, you yeah. know, like, this is comedy and comedy's yeah. not your thing. But for yeah. me, it's solo shows. Yeah. Um, it's, I want to see what female solo yeah. artists do. Um, I want to, uh, you know, and then if I'm thinking about things like this historical show, yeah. like um, uh, more uh, a variety or game show format or, you um, anything like that. So I, I set up like what it is I'm thinking about doing yeah. and then um, in the realm of solo performance I try to pack it in with those. Yeah. It is definitely research.
0: That reminds me we should give a shout out to uh, I think it's going on, on Twitter at the moment um, the hashtag solo ladies alliance uh, oh. for one woman shows. Oh. And so there's a sort of a collective of um, women in Edinburgh who are doing solo shows and basically just retweeting each other giving a shout out to each other's shows supporting each other's shows and that's uh, yeah two hashtags. One is a fairly generic hashtag which is hashtag one woman show and the other hashtag is hashtag solo, solo ladies, ladies alliance, alliance. okay yeah. i will um, look that up and yeah. cast iron Fierce has been given on their tw- tw- twitter feed we've been giving out a shout out to a um uh, a single uh, ladies show every single day of the fringe yeah nice um so um uh yeah that's been very exciting so far
2: i think it's important like it's like it does seem like on the one hand you look at it, it's like it's there does seem to be a fair number of us out yeah, there but yeah. on the other hand we so easily get dismissed Um, We so easily get dismissed as like, it's almost like the fringe version of Yeah, You know what I mean? And I just, I think that's great that that's out there. Thank you for supporting that. Of course, Mm. absolutely.
0: Um, So, oh yeah, Cameron, we're going to ask you. um, Have you ever sort of had an idea or an invention uh, concept for something that somebody else beat you to the beat for? (laughs)
2: Um, I, you know, honestly, um, I was thinking about that like, uh you know i was in a talented and gifted program when i was in in, in school and we we had like inventions that we had yeah. to come up with none of mine mine were always like very very niche you know they yeah. never came to fruition i don't think like i i I've, I've been wearing glasses for a long long time and so i came up with windshield wipers for glasses oh, i thought yeah. that was cool but that's never that's never actually i guess people just dry them off with towels or whatever yeah um, <laughs> so o- <sad>. outside <laughs> of an in,
0: inspector gadget cartoon that's,
2: that's yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> so i can't say that like um, I never was, like, the things, uh, inventing things was never my forte. It was more just, like, words and playing with words. Yeah, and, yeah. of course, people have come up with the, the, quote, great American novel, end quote, like, you know, over and over and over. And yeah, that yeah. was something that I wanted to do when yeah. I was 13. But uh, it was more of an ambition. What, what was your great American novel going to be about? Uh, and also, it hit, doesn't hit, matter. Hit, At 13, it's just going to be pap. It's going to be, it's not. Ugh.
0: Here's an unfair question, though. Yes, all because, right. Because uh, you might have a different answer tomorrow and it will now. What is the great American novel? What what, what novel changed your life? What novel, um, as a, particularly as an American rather than just um, a, a, a Brit or whatever, should one read?
2: I feel that, oddly enough, um, the novel Roots. Oh yeah, yeah. Um and I read that when I was really young, when I was eleven. Yeah. And it's pretty terrifying. Is right? it on is it on the American curriculum? I don't think so. No. I don't I don't think so. Um but I read that and that was my first kind of like uh up close kind of thinking about like what this country, what the US was yeah. founded on. Yeah. Um so that's pretty important. Um and uh yeah, I, I can't really think of anything else like that. I mean, more recently I wanna say like Margaret Atwood, the Handmaid's Tale, is yeah. starting to feel really terrifying, yeah. you know, in that way, but she's Canadian, so you know. Yeah. They have and
0: we're we're in the last two two minutes of the mm-hmm. um interview, so we're not even gonna begin to talk about the current administration. No, no, <laughs> um, no that's all
2: right. We all know how that's going. Oh, we really do. <laughs> um,
0: it, it's been lovely to chat to you on what will ultimately yes. be the very last uh, podcast of um, humanity. Um, oh. <laughs> and as uh, we recover from that, where have you found a place <laughs> in Edinburgh where you like to hang out and uh, sort of ponder on the futility of existence? Oh, God.
2: Oh, God. Uh, I had to say, like, even though I'm out here in the fringe being like all, you know, doing my thing... Um, the apex grass market hotel ends up being like a pl- i'm not much of a party animal yeah. right i just want reliable fucking electrical outlets and yeah. a place to sit and so i just like i just hole up in here like you yeah. know my own little like hotel bunker and and that feels fine
0: <laughs> which leads us quite neatly into where your shows are because mm. we are we are into the pitching part of, of the uh, chat so you got two shows
2: on where are they and when are they they are both both of my shows are here at the sweet uh, sweet venues apex grass market hotel um, uh, nerdfucker is on at seven o'clock almost every day except the 14th and the 21st yep. and then smut slam is on at 11 o'clock at night um Uh, Tuesdays through Thursdays for the rest of the French. Fantastic. Mm. Cameron Moore, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: This has been the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. Presented by Andrew Allen. And edited by Michelle Donny. Music is Chapstick by Everett Armand. Find us on Twitter, cast underscore iron acts. On Facebook, ironclad cast iron, all one word. Our website is castironbrighton.weebly.com. Subscribe to us and rate us on SoundCloud and
1: iTunes. Thanks for listening.